Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to Luke as recorded in chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals hanging there was blaspheming him, saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, since you are under the same condemnation? We are punished justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for what we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Amen, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel history of our Lord. After Pontius Pilate's wife sends the notice to him about the dream, Jesus shortly thereafter ends up standing before Pilate with the crown of thorns dug into his head with the mock uh, robe that, the, that was a faded soldier's uh, cape that was thrown upon him. His back has been flayed and it's bleeding out and, and he's standing there before Pilate and Pilate says, behold the man. You definitely do not see a glimpse of Jesus's divinity as he's holding it back and as his humanity looks so frail there. He'll carry the cross to Golgotha. He'll stumble along the way. But before he stumbles, some women weeping, he stops and he says to them, weep not for me, but for Jerusalem. And we get a glimpse of his deity as he gives a prophecy of what will happen in 77 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem. And really that also mirrors when Christ returns the destruction of the world. When they're nailing him to the cross, you would think you don't see his deity. But there he says those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is supernatural because most people facing so much animosity and their hatred towards you, towards you would not be willing to say, I love these people so much that I can see their ignorance. Please forgive them. But for the sake of brevity, our Lent season isn't that long. We forego those and we get ourselves to tonight's words where that thief is on the cross with, with Jesus. And we see rays of divine glory as seen in Christ's passion by the penitential criminal. I apologize if I say thief in the sermon. We really don't know what his crime was. I just mean criminal. But we see it in the faith of that dying criminal. And we see it in the Lord's promise, which is also a prophecy to him. So let's jump into that text today and let's get into that. But to get into that, let's actually take a look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 38. At the same time, two criminals were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Don't kid yourself. It's not by accident that the innocent one is placed between the two guilty ones. If they put him off to the side, it would give a really good contrast. Here's an innocent man who here's two criminals. By putting him in the middle, the people maybe don't notice so much. But it's also for you and I, because we recognize that he's on that cross. He is guilty of our sins, and we are credited with his innocence. And so he is crucified among the criminals. But that criminal makes that confession of faith today. How does he come to even know about Jesus? Now, for three years, Jesus had an active public ministry, and I'm sure he heard something about Jesus. But if you've ever lived in a small town and, and seen how the rumor mill works, you can pretty much bet whatever he heard wasn't 100% accurate. 
What he actually hears and what he actually comes to faith, the word of God proclaimed, because at this point, if he'd become a believer beforehand, he wouldn't be on that cross, would he? No, what he hears is from the mouth of mockers. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 44 tell us, people who passed by kept insulting him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Now, Jesus had cleared the temple at the beginning of his ministry, which we covered on Sunday's sermon. And Jesus cleared the temple literally the last week of his ministry, just a couple days before he is crucified. And in that, he had said both times, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it. But he was talking about his body. And through his resurrection, he builds his church, those who trust in him for their salvation. This man comes to trust in Jesus for his salvation, hearing those people misquoting what Jesus said, knowing Jesus, but, but trusting there's a miracle there that's going to happen. And they even say, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Now, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the experts in the law, they were supposed to be leading the people to see, to remain faithful to the scripture. And if they were remaining faithful to the scripture, they would have seen Jesus as the Messiah. And we're told in verse 41, in the same way, the chief priests, experts in the laws and elders kept mocking him. They said he saved others, but he cannot save himself. What a confession this thief heard from those mocking Jesus from the chief priests. He saved others. They admitted that. He had raised Lazarus from the grave and he had been in that tomb for about four days so that his body was decomposing. And that's when they said, we got to murder this guy. He's definitely from God. Don't kid yourself. Their confession here, they know he was from God. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. And that's wrong. To correct it, it would be, but he will not save himself because he would die for them so that they, their sins could be washed away. But they continue, if he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. That also is a lie. They knew he had raised Lazarus. They weren't going to believe in him no matter what. Oh, don't kid yourself. We can get, we can get confused as to what belief is. Belief isn't necessarily knowledge. The devil knows Jesus is the savior, but the devil has no chance of being saved. There are people who know that Jesus existed. They know he's standing before. They even know he's from God. But even if he came down from that cross, they weren't going to believe. In the story, in the account of Lazarus, not the Lazarus that Jesus rose from the grave, but poor Lazarus who begged at the gates of the rich man. When the rich man cries out to, to Abraham and asks him to send poor Lazarus to his brothers so they don't end up in hell, Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. They, if they don't listen to them, they won't believe even if someone rises from the grave. Hint, hint, as we look towards Easter. See, the truth of the matter is Moses and the prophets was what we would call the scriptures. We call it today the Old Testament. But if they weren't going to believe the Bible, they weren't going to believe anything. And these people were lying through their teeth. They knew that Jesus was sent from God. Even if he came off that cross, even after he rises, they try to cover it up. They refused to believe and they knew he rose from that grave. And he could have come off that cross just to prove it and come back on. They still weren't going to believe. But you and I are grateful he stayed on that cross. And so was the thief because there he was earning our salvation. But they continue, if he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. 
Uh, and then they say he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him because he said, I am the son of God. So the thief would hear from these uh, chief priests and elders that Jesus even claimed to be the son of God. And hearing about the miracles and he saved others, even through the mouth of mockers, the Holy Spirit was able to enter his heart through that message and give him faith that Jesus is the son of God. Then verse 44 of Matthew chapter 27 says, in the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him kept insulting him. Did you catch that? It didn't say the criminal. It says the criminals. This man was not a believer when he was nailed to the cross. He, as misery loves company, joined in with the rest of the crowd and made fun of and mocked Jesus. But as he nears his death, we're told that wonderful confession of faith that he professes. Now, I've told you in sermons past that faith is the Holy Spirit living in your heart. And we know that faith comes from hearing the message. And we've covered both of those already in our sermon today. But what exactly is faith? Christians get confused and they put their trust in their trust. It's, it's really a strange thing. But the Bible tells us what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure about what we hope for, being convinced about things we do not see. See, the faith of doubting Thomas was he had to see that Jesus was raised, put his hands in the nail holes so that he would believe in him. That's not belief. That's the scientific method. In everything that this criminal could see on the cross was screaming out that Jesus isn't the Savior because he's dying a loser's death with the criminals. But the Holy Spirit still worked and he was able to believe contrary to how everything saw this man is who he claims to be. He's the Savior. And remember, the Savior only speaks seven sentences from that cross. And one of them is his words we're going to get into here with this, with this man. This man speaks up in spite of the scientific method. We've got to be careful because God created the natural laws that we call science, scientific laws to govern this universe. But a miracle is when he suspends them. And even when miracles happen in front of people, like when Jesus rises from the grave, the chief priests still, they tried to cover it up. They refused to believe in him. Seeing is not believing. Believing is the Holy Spirit in your heart so that you know, contrary to the world screaming out and all of its propaganda, the true God became true man and did all the work for your salvation. And so this man finds the boldness to speak up. And he says, where our text is at verse 40 in Luke chapter 23. Don't you fear God since you are under the same condemnation? We are punished justly for we are receiving what we deserve for what we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. Do you catch that he says, I actually am getting what I deserve? Don't you fear God? You are a brother Jew. Don't you have respect and reverence for God? This man's innocent, but besides that, this is God next to us. We deserve what we're getting. We can only do that by faith. Oh, oftentimes people think that God owes them salvation because, hey, they've done their best and they're hoping God does the rest. That's not trusting in Jesus for that Jesus did all the work for your salvation. Some hope that in the afterlife in a hell-like environment they can burn off the rest of their sins. That's not trusting that Jesus is true God who became true man, who bore all the punishment for the cross. Second last statement, it is finished. It's not believing his words that he's done all the work. 
Faith begins by recognizing it's not that I've done so much good for others or that I've put so much in the offering plate. It's trusting I deserve hell. End of discussion. And that I have nothing to come to God with. All I can do is beg for salvation. And yet listen to the confession in his prayer. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. How beautiful a confession. First of all, your kingdom. He's confessing that Jesus is God. His kingdom is heaven. His kingdom is actually his rule in that thief's heart and in your heart. And it's because he rules there that he stays on the cross for us. So the thief knows, or I'm sorry, the criminal knows he didn't deserve eternal life. And yet he knows that Christ is gracious. And like the publican who all he could do is beat his chest and and say, Lord, have mercy on me. That's what he does, although he can't beat his chest because his hands are nailed to the cross. And we'll find out he receives it. One last point I want to make. Jesus says, he who believes in me and is baptized will be saved. And that is the truth. If somebody believes in Jesus and knows what the Bible says about baptism and they reject it, then they are going to hell because they're not trusting in Jesus for salvation. But this criminal, he's literally nailed to a cross. He is not going to be baptized. But because the Holy Spirit entered his heart, he would be saved. There's a difference between despising God's word and literally coming to faith at the last minute of your life. And that offends Christians. There are Christians who throughout history that have been offended and say, oh, this guy must have been a believer before he came to the cross. Yes, even awful people who, if they were to come to faith right before they died, they would receive the blood of Christ and be saved. This criminal is proof of that. And yet we see then rays of divine glory as seen in Christ's passion by the penitential thief in the faith of that dying criminal recognizing I don't deserve salvation. I can't earn it. Yet I come to you as a beggar. And then he trusts that Christ is on the cross earning it for him. So let's get to that confession of Jesus, which is stated in verse 43. Jesus said to him, Amen, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That man would die that day. We know how it would happen because the the Roman soldiers came along. It was a Friday. And when the sun set, that was considered the Sabbath. And the Jewish people didn't want people on the cross on the Sabbath. So they broke their legs. And then they wouldn't be able to pump their legs so that their diaphragm would continue helping them to breathe and they would literally suffocate to death. In Jesus' confession, he's prophesying that that they would both be in heaven that day. And I want to point out when they come to break Jesus' legs, he's already dead. Instead of going through the labor of breaking his legs, they stick a spear up into his side. It would puncture through his diaphragm. I believe it would go through his liver and it would go through a lung and it would go through his heart. They knew he was dead. They wouldn't have done that if they thought he was still alive. And then all that blood and and, and water gushes out from his side. I point that out because Jesus here is confessing he's going to die. In this particular case, his soul is going to be separated from his body. That is death. He's the only one who gets to do this himself because he's God. And yet his last word from the cross is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, in the early days of Christianity, in fact, before Jesus took on human flesh, there was a cult known as Gnosticism. And it was a cult that came along when Eastern mysticism met Western philosophy. 
such as Plato and Aristotle and stuff. And it was engulfing a lot of other religions, and it was already had its branch in Judaism before Christ even took on human flesh. But about 150 AD, it reached out to Christianity. Gnosticism thought that the body was bad. That was a lot of Greek philosophy. And so it saw these different worlds and everything else like that. And, and the people who uh, claimed to be uh, Christians that were actually Gnostics started writing false books of the Bible. Now, the Christians could tell by reading them they were false books of the Bible. So when National Geographic or the Discovery Channel tells you they found a book of the Bible or that the church determined what the Bible was at this particular council, they're wrong. The believers always knew which books were actually from God and which ones weren't. At some councils, they clarified that because of cults like this, but this cult claimed that Jesus didn't really die. They claimed that he swooned on the cross, and when he was placed in the tomb uh, on Friday night, that Sunday morning, the coolness of the tomb revived him. Again, spear through the side, rib, heart, everything, no, Jesus died. Jesus himself confessed that his soul would be separated from his body, and it would be in heaven. So if you're going to deny this part of the scriptures, deny it all. Because if Jesus was not separated like that, if Jesus did not die, then your and my faith is in vain. Remember that, because there are a lot of religions and cults that claim that Jesus just swooned to this day based on Gnostic writings. Most of them don't even come along until after 200 A.D. So we see Jesus confessing, I'm going to be in heaven, you're going to be in heaven with me. Now, Jesus says this with boldness. This criminal can die peacefully knowing he's going to heaven. But did you know that if you trust in Jesus, that he's done all the work for your salvation, not that I've gone to church so many times and that earns me heaven or whatever, but that Jesus won heaven for me, and that's why I go to church to hear his word, you can be 100% confident he's ruling in your heart. You're already in his invisible kingdom, which is the church, the invisible church of all believers, and that heaven's yours. And not only can you be confident, if you're at the deathbed of somebody who comes to faith in Christ right then and there, or somebody who's been a believer their whole entire life, you can assure them the confidence. Because of Jesus, you will be in paradise this day. Don't, the gates of hell are locked. You can't go into them. Only heaven is open to you. Rejoice. And I'd like to point out this criminal, by the world standards, dies a shameful death. Yet by the kingdom of God, he has a wonderful, glorious death. Because he dies a believer. Christ had died right before him, winning the victory for all who trust in him, that he's credited with Christ's righteousness, and Christ even took that criminal's guilt. So he dies a wonderful death because of Christ's victory. And that's seen in the Lord's promise to him. We live in an age where Christians are mocked. We live in an age where the devil's always told lies, and yet our Hollywood and even our news often, they portray Christians as being these ignorant uh, people who don't even know enough not to inbreed with their own very immediate relatives. And that's all a bunch of lies. They confuse the message of God. This criminal had the faith, even as a criminal, in a shameful situation to speak up. You have the confidence that the kingdom of heaven is open to you. When the truth is shouted down in this world by lies, if you point out somebody's sin like this criminal did, don't you fear God? You could be called all kinds of names that has, might not even have anything to do with the sin you're pointing out. But we don't point out that sin to look down our nose at others. We point out that sin so they can see that they desperately need a savior. And when they see that, you have the confidence to tell them heaven is open to you because Christ died for you. 
Now, I mentioned earlier about how faith is not science. Seeing is not believing at all, although I'm a big fan of the scientific method. So let me wrap up this sermon with a very famous scientist who didn't die, or when he died, was, was not appreciated. During the Reformation, a scientist from, who lived in, in Poland came along. His name was Copernicus. And he taught that contrary to the popular science of that day, that not that the sun and the planets revolved around the earth, but that the earth revolved around the sun along with all the other planets. And it was actually a student who had sat at the feet of Martin Luther at, at Wittenberg uh, who had gone under this man to encourage him to write that down and it wasn't accepted and so when he dies it was some time later many years later before people actually knew where his grave was but he had requested Copernicus that he requested this epitaph this inscription be made and he said I'm not seeking grace similar to that of St. Paul nor forgiveness that St. Peter was granted only for the forgiveness you gave the sinner on the cross do I incessantly beg His science was good. His faith trusted in the Lord. And he knew like that criminal, he was a beggar before the Lord. So are you and I and all of us trusting in Jesus on the cross as true God. See, rays of divine glory as seen in Christ's passion by the penitential criminal. In the faith of the dying criminal and in the Lord's promise to him, which is the Lord's promise to you. Amen. There is a fountain filled with blood. Emmanuel was slain and sinners who are washed therein lose every guilty stain. The dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day. And there have I, as vile as he, washed all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, your precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved and sin no more. Amen.